Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Josh from Under the Table Hot Sauce. I'm here with my friend, the star of the show, Jimmy Farrow. Yeah, what's up, JB? Nah, nothing. It's been a hot summer, and for all your barbecue needs, you can go to UndertheTableHotSauce.com. 13 unique flavors to choose from, created and bottled in a Long Island kitchen. UndertheTableHotSauce.com. Let's go chow, JB. Let's do it. All the flavor, twice the burn. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut. Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Luzi energy drink. Yeah, it's that good.
Ladies and gentlemen, this is the third installment of the broadcast slash podcast, The King's Bodyguard, with your host, Grandmaster Dave Hebler, the most prolific authority figure on Kempo Karate in the world. Um, right now, the second oldest Kempo practitioner in the world, and Elvis Presley's former martial arts instructor and bodyguard from 1972 to 1976. He was part of Elvis's entourage, the Memphis Mafia. And Dave today is going to share some of the anecdotes and questions uh, he has received over the years from some of the Elvis fans out there, along with the answers. So, Mr. Dave Hebler, take it away. Thank you, Jim. I wanted to start off by uh, saying uh, recently I've received a whole bunch of questions from you guys. And um, I'm going to get busy answering those questions in just a few minutes. But before I do that, I would like to uh, talk about a couple of things real quick, if I may. First one, how do I, how do I get your questions? Most people don't know how to send their questions to me. So real quick, I want to tell everybody, if you want, to send me a question, you send it to my website, which is www.thedaveebler.com. Go to uh, contact, fill out your information, ask me your question. What happens is that comes directly to me. I download it and then I make a copy of it and then I write out the answer along with it. So I have everything in writing. So anyhow, that's how you get the questions to me. But before we get to the answers, I wanna talk about a mission of mine that's been near and dear to my heart for some 50 years. And the topic I want to talk about is violence against women. Statistics from the FBI, the Justice Department, other agencies show that approximately 10 million women and young girls are violently assaulted every year right here in the United States of America. And here's a really sad aspect to that. The majority of those 10 million victims are young girls, age 11 to 19. Dave, before you go further, brother, can you back up just a little bit? Because your whole face is not in the frame. Little bit more. Little, little bit, little bit more. Right, right there. Yes. Okay. You want me to start again? There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can continue where you left off. Yeah. Okay. Well, in any event, 10 million victims every year. Now, 10 million, that's a, that's a huge number, and it's very real. But, you know, if you're like me, it's pretty hard to relate to numbers on a personal basis. I mean, they're just numbers, right? But if you think about it this way, let's suppose my numbers are, are wrong. There's no, 
there isn't 10 million victims every year. But there's only one. There's only one little girl every year that gets violently assaulted. But that one little girl is yours. Your little girl. Because it gets worse. Because when the monster comes for you, you'll be all alone with no help of any kind. There's you, there's only you, and you must be the instrument of your own salvation. Tough job. But the good news is that you can, if you only knew how. I know how. You see, I've been a martial artist and a self-defense instructor for 63 years. I know some answers. And I know some stuff that could help you. Now, let me show you. Can you see that? Right there. There you go. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my my latest tr training manual on self-defense for women and young girls. If you uh, a couple of weeks ago, if you'd have gone to my website, you could have purchased this manual. It's a six-week course of instruction for forty-nine dollars and ninety-five cents. Really good deal, right? Well. A couple of weeks ago, I made that deal a whole lot better. And the deal now is, if you buy anything on my website, like if you buy a picture, signed autograph picture for $19.95, or if you buy a signed copy of my book, The Elvis Experience, for $24.95, I will give you the training manual for free. Now, the deal gets even better because it's not just for a couple of weeks. It's not for, you know, a couple of months. It's forever. From this point on, anybody that gets anything from me from my website also gets this manual for free. I send it out um, as an attachment to an email. So that if you're, um, if you get, if you get it, you can forward that email on to somebody who, who you think might get some, uh, get some good out of the information that's in that uh, manual. And there's a lot of good stuff in there. I'm telling you. And um, that's my way really of giving back. And I've been doing this for this, this thing. This is my fourth edition. I've been doing it for 50 years. So there's some good stuff in there. So anyhow, that's that with that. Let's talk about some Elvis questions. What do you say? Absolutely. All right. Like I said, as you might imagine, over the years, I've received 
hundreds and thousands of questions. Um, and um, what, a, what the questions reveal is that uh, what people are interested in is uh, what was Elvis Presley, the person, really like? And that's understandable when you realize that unless you were there, everything you think you know about Elvis Presley is secondhand information. Now, some of that secondhand information is true. Some of it is sort of true. And some of it is just plain not true. Um, so what I try to do is put a little clarity into um, all of these questions and I'm telling you, boy, do I get them. And um, like I said, I record them and I put them down and then I give you question number one right off the bat. How was it for you working for Elvis? Well, like many questions I've received, this one is a huge question. And therefore, it's very difficult to answer with just a sentence or two. I probably need to write a book, you know, to answer it. Oh, wait. I have written a book. And exactly what it was like to be working for Elvis. This is the book. Call it The Elvis Experience. This question is actually one of the most popular ones I get. Uh, so I try to answer it with a little bit of sense of a little bit of humor, a little bit of sarcasm. Mm -hmm. So for those of you with uh, little or no sense of humor at all, <laughs> just say, just ignore my answer, okay? Now you might think that being Elvis Presley's personal bodyguard was a really, really cool job, right? I get that a lot, boy, cool job. Well, you might think that too. But you know what? It was a crummy job. It really was. It was terrible. It was the worst job I ever had in my life. I mean, just think about it. Everywhere we went, there were hundreds of love-starved women just chewing their very best to try to get next to Elvis and love him to death. And it was my job to keep them from doing that. I mean, I often had to sacrifice my own body to save his. What a, what a crummy job for a guy, huh? Ooh. Now the questions, to run the gamut, they run from, you know, simple to difficult to easy to complex to um, just plain crazy. And to give you an example of that, 
guys sent me this question. I'm looking for this. This is funny. This guy said, and quote, I had read that Elvis didn't shower much. Did he smell bad? <laughs> I know it sounds like a stupid question, but I'm big on cleanliness myself. I can't imagine doing a show and not showering after. Well, here's my answer. You are correct, Mike. It is a stupid question. And I'm only including that. I'm only including it so that people can see for themselves an example of the stupid questions I've received over the years. You can do better than this, Mike. You surely can. And with that, I'll move over to um, some recent ones I got. I got lots of questions. Okay, here we go. This one's from uh, Kyle. Kyle. Kyle says, hi, Dave. If Elvis didn't pass in 77 and he regretted what he did and invited you back to work for him, would you take the job back? My answer is, hi, Kyle. You know, I actually thought about that thing back then. And back then I had decided that I would not have taken the job back. Because at the time I was more interested in being around my family on a regular basis. But thinking about it today, you know, 45 years later, I don't know, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't have, I don't know. Ah, this one's from Mariah. Mariah says, my question is, do you think Elvis ever found his soulmate, his true love? Now, Mariah, this is really a unique question. This is the first que first unusual question that I think I've ever received on Elvis. It's a pretty good one. Well, hi, Mariah. I really don't know if he found his true love, but I'm pretty sure that he loved Priscilla. And of course, his mom and his daughter. Uh, he certainly loved his uh, 
his mom and dad, and of course his daughter. He also loved the rest of his family. And he loved his fans too. He loved you. But if he did find a soulmate or true love, in my estimation, it was Priscilla. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I don't think so. Here's one from Charles. <clears throat> this one's a little involved. Dave, I sent you a message in Messenger that my dad, Donald Fortenberry, had played with Elvis and del even delivered milk with him. But I didn't get a response. I'm looking for anyone that has any information about my dad as I have never met him. I only found out about five years ago that he was my biological father and he passed in 2008. If you can help me in any way, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Now that's a different question. <laughs> and the answer is, hi Charles, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. I have no knowledge or information about your biological father at all. Have you tried Ancestry.com? And good luck on your quest. I can't imagine being in his position, trying to, trying to get that information. Unfortunately, I can't help him. I wish I could. Oh, this one's a, this is a, this one's a little bit long. I'm going to set this one aside. I'll tell you what the question is, and then I'll tell you why I'm going to set it aside for just this, this, this one, uh, this one uh, session. This is from Sandra. And she writes, it's kind of a nasty question, <laughs> but I read that. When the book that you, Sonny and Red, wrote about Elvis was released in 1977, it didn't get that much attention. But his passing two weeks later created a financial windfall for you three, and then you sold three million copies of your tell-all. Is this true? Her second question is, do you talk about the details of your book when you attend Elvis events? This book right here. Elvis, what happened? Well, I'm going to give you an initial um, answer to your question, Sandra, and then uh, I'll let it go because I am going to do an in-depth talk about this particular book at a later session. So if you'll be happy with my, uh, my answer, my brief answer, it goes like this. Hi, Sandra. Yes, I do talk about the book when I attend events. But what you don't know is the fact of the matter 
is that I hated that book. I hated this book. Me and Red and Sonny were led to believe that the book would come out more balanced than it did. And I was surprised and quite upset when it didn't. The tabloid journalist who wrote the book, along with the publishers, decided to sensationalize the book and did so without our knowledge. We spent an entire month in a hotel room answering question after question, and most of it was, was positive. Most of the, of the positive views never even got into the final draft of the book. Just read the words on the front and back covers of that book. And I'll read them for you. The dark other side of the brightest star in the world. Three of his closest companions tell a shocking, bizarre story. On the back. A devoted and generous son, a generous friend, a model army recruit, a gifted entertainer, a beloved hero to millions. This is the Elvis Presley the world knows and cherishes. It's the only good thing they said in the whole book. Brooding, violent, obsessed with death, strung out, sexually driven, this is the other side of Elvis, according to the three men who lived with him through it all. A man who charms a beautiful young fan into joining him on a drug binge for two that nearly kills her. Takes a group of friends on a 3 a.m. visit to a mortuary to look at corpses and talk about embalming. Hurls a pool cue at a party guest who interrupts his game, injuring her breasts. Talks with uh, his bodyguard about a hit on the man who stole his wife. Has for years leaned heavily on uppers and downers. Pretty sensational words, aren't they? Pretty nasty, aren't they? Well, what I want to say to you is, those aren't our words. We never said those words. We never said a single thing that's on this God. These are the words of the publisher and the writer hired by the publisher. With respect to the millions of dollars that we made off of the book and the millions of books that were sold, how do you know three million copies were sold? I don't know that. Really, I don't. And I want to answer that money question. Because I get this quite often from people. <laughs> oh, it, 
you're writing another book. You're doing uh, some more Elvis stuff. What? Did you run out of all the millions of dollars that you made writing that nasty book? Well, I wish that were true. But the truth of the matter is, I made one point six cents per book, less than two pennies. And that's the truth. Onward and upward. Let me add something to that, Dave, if I may. Yeah. So for the last several years that that book was in circulation before it became out of print, you saw zero dollars and zero cents from that book. Oh, yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Thank you for reminding me. <clears throat> the book was in print for 22 years altogether. And for the last 10 years that the book was in print, we didn't make a single penny. Nothing. Obviously, they sold books during that period of time, right? We didn't get anything of it. Here's a, I kind of like this question. This is from Karen. And she writes, hello, Dave. Your friend Elvis stole my heart when I was a teen a long time ago. His music has always been on the radio as I have lived a life and brought my two beds and brought my two boys up. With more time on my hands these past two years due to COVID, I thought we'd read a little about him. It has been interesting, and there have been some wonderful photos and videos online. You see glimpses of a man with a great sense of humor. Was Elvis a bit of a giggler? Did he see the funny side of life in general? I think a sense of humor is an, traffic, uh, an attractive aspect of a person's personality. Yeah, you know what, Karen, I do too. He stole many a heart back then. And you know what? It continues to this day. It's amazing, really. Your suggestion is correct. Elvis had a, an amazing sense of humor, and he laughed a lot. We all did, frankly. Elvis enjoyed himself a lot and saw humor in almost everything. He and we had some fun times with lots of giggles, if you, if, if you can imagine. And we did. And that was a whole, you know, tying into that book thing. You know, 90, 95% of everything that we did was fun stuff. Really, it was, you know. The negative, of course, being the drugs. Here's another question. 
This is from Sarah. Hi, Dave. <clears throat> it must have been such a privilege to have had the great pleasure to be so close to Elvis. Personally, I mean. I was wondering what some of the sweetest, most generous moments you experienced with him was. He is the man I know about with the biggest, most generous heart. And there are so many beautiful stories of him giving to others and caring deeply for others. So I would love to hear what you have experienced with him. Best regards, sir. This is one of those big questions, you know, that uh, takes forever to answer, to answer completely. So I'll try to be brief and still answer the question. So hi, Sarah, you're correct. Elvis was the most generous human being that I have ever met. He gave away houses, furniture, cars, trucks, motorcycle, clothing, money, jewelry, and supported a number of charities. Speaking from experience, I was one of those on the receiving end of that generosity. He was always giving me something, really, including two cars. The second time I met him was at his home in Beverly Hills where he gifted me with a 1971 Mercedes SL. Needless to say, I was astounded at his generosity. And you know what? He always gave with a good heart. He never expected anything in return and would not accept anything in return except for thank you. An amazing man with that. Do you think that's part of Elvis's legacy? Because he was a giver while he was here. He wanted people to remember him as a giver. Like he yeah. gifted the world of music. He yeah. gifted the world of talent. He gifted the people around him circles, nice gifts, nice cars, nice clothes, nice. That's how he wanted to be remembered. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, I, um, that, that was my experience. And, and um, to an amazing extent. You know, to go back to the, uh, the last session we had when I talked about my background, one of the things that I didn't say uh, at that point in time was, uh, yeah, we lived in a tenement and we didn't have hot water and we didn't have a, a, a TV and we didn't have a phone and we didn't have a car. And we also didn't have money. And I learned early on that if I wanted something and that something costs money, then I had to get a job or somehow figure out how to get the money to get what it is that I wanted. 
So I got a job as a caddy at uh, the Berkshire Hills Country Club, which is a private, beautiful golf course about, oh, two, two and a half miles from where I live. So I would get up in the morning at five o'clock in the morning. I would walk up to the end of the block. I would steal a loaf of bread from the uh, delivery at the little store that hadn't opened up yet. And then I would walk up to the, uh, up the hill to the golf course. And I would slide under a little hole in their uh, fencing where they kept all of their beer and wine and sodas and stuff in the back. And I would steal two bottles of beer. And then I would take the two bottles of beer and that loaf of bread and hide it in my little hiding places because that was my lunch. Okay. I didn't have any breakfast, by the way. Anyhow, then I would, uh, then I would carry a, uh, a golf bag for 18 holes, uh, four, four and a half hours. And often that bag was uh, bigger than me. And for all of that work, I got paid a dollar and 35 cents for the 18 holes. I was eight years old at the time. A few years later, I wanted a fishing pole. And there was a fishing pole and reel that was on sale for $14. So I got a job at a bowling alley setting up pins by hand. And they were the kind of pins, they weren't the kind of bowling pins that you think they're skinny and then fat. These were skinny, fat, skinny. Candle pins is what they were called. And I would sit between two alleys with my feet up to uh, avoid all the pins that were flying my way. And then when uh, that was done, I would sit down and set up all the pins and that's the way it went. I got paid seven cents a string. I went to work at six o'clock in the evening. I got off at two o'clock in the morning. And then I walked the three and a half miles from there to my home in the middle of winter. But eventually I got that $14 and um, I bought that fishing pole. I was uh, 14 years old at that time. Mm -hmm. So that kind of brings me up to date on my, uh, my little background. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I tell you this because when I mentioned that Elvis was always giving me stuff, it's because we, we kind of clicked. Because like him, I was born and raised a poor boy. And he kind of related to that, you know? And um, I think that motivated him to want to give me, you know, presents. I mean, he took me 
He took me shopping one time and bought me six, six leather jackets. All in a different color. And so I would always be in style. <laughs> six leather jackets all at once. It was, uh, I mean, I don't think a day went by that he didn't buy me something or give me something. He would look for stuff to give give to me. I mean, he gave me a, a clock from his office, a clock and a letter opener. <laughs> just, uh, just amazing stuff. Was he a generous guy? You bet. That's a testament on who Elvis was, a giver. And that's what we learned in this episode. He's a giver. And um, I want to give you the cue, the cue Dave, because we got like one minute left. But on this episode, we're going to come back with episode number four here in a minute. So we can continue the conversation about Elvis the giver, but he was a giving man. A lot of people don't know, not just with his music, not just with his stage persona to the world, but everybody that was in his inner circle, man, he looked out for and took care of. Is that pretty safe to say? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Mm -hmm. Took care of everybody. Right on. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the end of episode number four. I'm sorry, episode number three. We're coming back with episode number four in a minute.